And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. Today, we're going to talk about territorial spirits and demonic powers. Zell and how are you? I'm doing good. I don't know if we should be, like, setting up some kind of protective circle or something here. Or... Well, I put rock salt on all the doorways. And, uh, <laughs> no, it's going to be a, a, a very fun one. But first, I need to know, it's uh, middle of December as we're recording this. And uh, how is the weather there? The weather is delightfully chilly. There is snow on the ground. My heart is strangely warmed. And I am, I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with some seasonal um, cold, colds and stuff like that. It's, it's not COVID, nothing like that. But that's the first thing that everybody asks these days. But other than that, I'm really enjoying the, uh, the, this time of year and looking forward to it getting even a little colder because we haven't gotten to the heart of winter yet. What about you, Willie? Well, it is uh, high 60s here, going to crack into the 70s today, most likely. Very strange feeling, but you know what? I'm not going to complain because it, you know, it is quite, nice. quite warm. Yeah. Do you think you're going to get any snow this year? Well, they say we will, but I think winter for us here is going to hit more in January. Fair enough. Where it, so, hits, where it hits in most of the world, you know, coming in October like it does here is pretty unusual, I think. You're Right, right. So, yeah, um... It's been warm. It's been a little bit rainy. Uh, it is strange, though. It will get overcast here, and you think it's going to rain, and then you don't. It just doesn't. I, I have to adjust here. I'm not as in tune with the forces of nature here as I have been other places. i gotta got to consult the almanac here and see what to expect. But <laughs> and it might just be a fluke of the weather since I've been here, but it'll get very overcast, and, and you would, you know, it's like dark at 3 in the afternoon-ish, and you'll think, okay, rain's coming, and then it doesn't. Hmm. The old weather bait and switch, but it might just be the season. That might be December winter in Arkansas. I don't know. Well, um, you'll you'll get the hang of it sooner sooner right. enough. So my members will be able to tell me they'll they'll, they'll let me know um, what I can expect here because I'm like looking out. It's a little overcast today. Maybe we'll get a little rain. We'll find out. Meanwhile, I'm dealing with ice and snow and all that good stuff. So yeah, all the, all that fun stuff. Yeah, you know, I I don't think I'm going to have too many snow days uh, here. Although they say when the snow comes. Even if it's just a half an inch, it will shut the world down. So <laughs> I can I can deal with that. I can deal with that. And a long growing season. It's very interesting to see people with like greens. So it's winter crops now. So there's still lush greens in people's gardens here. That's totally foreign to my experience. So Well, you don't even eat collard greens up there anyway, do you? No, I'm not even sure what a collard green is. Well, let's not get into what it sounds like. <laughs> That reminds me, can I tell you a story about the word collared from my radio days? Sure. So we had a guy named Dewey, and I won't say what county he's from, but let's say it was very rural, very very country where he was from. And he worked at the radio station. 
and he wanted to get a, an official shirt. So when he went out in assignments, he would have the radio station shirt on. And we said, okay, Dewey, what we need you to do is you need to go to the sporting goods store, get a collared shirt, and, uh, and they'll put our logo on it and they'll build a station. Okay. So he comes up, we see him, he's getting ready to show up for work and he's got a, he's got a t-shirt on with the, with the company logo on it. We said, Dewey, we told you to get a collared shirt. And Dewey says, it is collared. It's red, isn't it? <laughs> he, he a good boy. He, he a good boy. You can't ask for a better worker than that. Dude. It is so anyway, but now on a more, on a, on a more serious note, we've got to talk about the subject for today. Territorial spirits, demonic powers. Not really sure what it's officially going to end up being called uh, when we when we post it, but this is uh, this is a subject that at one point Zellin in popular Christianity was very popular. Do you remember the novels, This Present Darkness, and things like that? Frank Peretti was that part of your? That was not part of my experience, but I they mean... were big in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. But it really helped popularize this idea of territorial spirits. Now. Frank Peretti, uh, to his credit, I don't think ever intended them to be purely theological works. They are largely fictional. Sure. But when you say territorial spirits, a lot of the people out there, this is where they became familiar with them. They're, they're fictional novels, mm-hmm. borderline mm-hmm. science fiction fantasy, when they deal with those sorts of things. Uh, he, I, I believe he was credentialed in the Assemblies of God, and I think he lives in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho now. So he's got to be good if, he's, if he decided to pull up stakes and move to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> probably somewhere near uh, Ben, but yeah, yeah. We might not agree on every theological point, but anyone who's decided I'm going to Idaho is probably ideologically closer to us than some people. <laughs> I don't know. Shall we say in Minnesota or St. Louis or something like that? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But, uh, but, but what is the, what is a territorial spirit? Well, I mean, probably the, the best way to describe this, and we're not trying to think in terms of Peretti or anything. We're trying to think in biblical terms, but probably the best way to describe this is spiritual forces, spiritual beings who are ruling over nations, who are ruling and directing the, the, the nations of the world. And I'm, I'm trying to make it as neutral as possible because, as we'll see, there are some who are, we'll call angelic, those who mm-hmm. are on the side of the Lord. But the vast majority of them, and probably the ones that everyone's thinking of, are the demonic spirits, those who are passing right. themselves off as as gods. Yeah, and that's uh <laughs> it's a it's a strange thing for people to think about. Like when when the Bible talks about principalities and powers in high places, sometimes we shift to just thinking earthly rulers, but the co- in the context of those verses, that's not what they're talking about. Yeah, not at all. I mean, the, the whole point of what the, the spiritual warfare is, is against the, these spiritual powers, these spiritual forces who are controlling things, who are driving uh, the evil forces of the world. Right. And uh, as we look at the, uh, the texts of the Bible that talk about these things, I think it'll become a little bit more clear, but yeah, I mean, spiritual warfare is a serious thing. This is not just against a couple of bad dudes, like human dudes on in, on Earth. Our right. warfare is against Satan and his forces. Yeah, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it's something that Lutherans don't talk about a lot. And in this context in particular, this, or excuse me, this uh, subject in particular, I get really tired of, oh, well, we in the West don't talk about spiritual things. We talk about spiritual things all the time. We just talk about them in different ways. Sure. I don't like that whole 
you know, a global South, whatever that means, uh, that term, that loaded term is more spiritually in tune. That's a really nice way of saying overrun with demons, but <laughs> they're overrun with demons in a different way than we are, but we are still afflicted by demons. And this is really why we're talking about it. Um, because you have to understand that behind the curtain in many nations, there is the devil pulling the strings. Or, in the case of territorial spirits, a specific demon. Um, We tend to make the devil into this omnipresent kind of pulling the strings everywhere. But it seems, biblically speaking, there's an administration. So some demon will be be assigned over this territory. Now, who's doing the organizing? You know, who knows? But, you know, this demon named this is over here, and he's doing that. And some of the audience will go, this is a little bit weird. But this is the cosmological view of the church at the time of Jesus. Right. This is the cosmological view, frankly, that the Bible has, right? as we're going to see. And this is not very strange. Uh, only in really modern times have we, have we sort of gotten rid of this idea. But it's, it's there at the Second Temple. It's there before because we see it in Daniel. And you can't, you can't get around that. This is how they understood these things. Well, and I think especially because these days, with our assumptions about the way that the world works... I think we tend to think that the the nations are just kind of existing, like men just sort of exist out there. And then you kind of have this vacant spot and then God's kind of above it. You know, I mean, you know, so that he's directing the world, we'll say, you know, he's ordering all things. But we tend to think of his directing, his ordering, his providence as being very Mm -hmm. indirect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, in this idea of a robust uh, spiritual world out there, we forget and I mean spiritual, not in this vague spiritual feeling, but this idea of there are spirit beings out there, angels and demons at war. Right. And I'll be honest with you, Zellwin, if you if you don't believe in demons, well, what is Twitter? <laughs> and what is the <laughs> and what is the discourse you see out there? I think half half I actually have have begun to believe in a version of social media that is just either bots or malevolent entities <laughs> who are that, who are that, steering discourse. That moment when the internet is just demons. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's either empty demons or robots. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> People are laughing, thinking I'm joking, but I'm actually quite <laughs> serious in some respects about this. <laughs> I do think, and you know, as far as demons really running rampant in a nation, I do think we're seeing that. We're seeing the fruit of that in policies that are being passed in certain states, but we're also just seeing it in the faces of people. Sure. People oh, yeah. are are, are oppre- oppressed spiritually, and you can see it in them. Uh, this nation needs the Holy Ghost, is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> well, and 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 I think a question we should ask, especially towards the end after we've gone through the biblical text, is you know, are we being ruled by you know what kind of spirit is ruling over our nation? Yeah, and you know that's and that's the question I think that will really make this a very practical one, and I think will help to explain perhaps, a lot of the things that we see happening. Right. Well, let's get into uh, some of the biblical texts then, Zellwin. Okay. Well, maybe we'll just start with the text that we started with uh, as our opener, which is from Daniel chapter 10, because this is really the the passage that I was wrestling with a little while back uh, in September for in preparation for St. Michael and All Angels. Uh, that's It's the Old Testament reading for the one-year lectionary. And it made me start to think about what it is that Daniel is presenting here. And what we have here is the angel speaking to Daniel 
about the things that are happening kind of above him, you know, the, 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 the warfare that's going on around him. And the, the verse in particular here is verse uh, chapter 10, verse 13, where he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And it's that language of prince in reference to Michael, as well as the reference to this other entity that really got me going. You know, what is it that the Bible is talking about here? Right. And we can see, you know, pretty clearly because of who Michael is and the way he's presented in the rest of Scripture as the archangel, as the one who is, you know, contending and stuff like that. Prince is referring to a spiritual being. Yeah. And so Michael being one of these chief princes, uh, the, the prince over Israel at the time, is contending with the, this other prince, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so that is uh, a territorial spirit, a, a demonic force who is ruling over Persia and who is withstanding the incursions of Michael. Where do you want to go from there, Willie? Well, I mean, we've already established that groundwork. So you can have prince referring to this. So it's not an earthly prince. You have a little bit of this, you know, this connection between uh, demons and as princes, kind of like in Isaiah 24. In that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven above and the kings of the earth below. Uh, You know, things like that. Uh, Some of this in... Jesus and Beelzebul in uh, in uh, Luke eleven, for example. Mm-hmm. I think these these kind of tie in to to this idea. Just just in case people think we're making it up, but Isaiah twenty four, Luke eleven, for this idea of individual spirits, kind of that have authority, right? You know, uh, Michael. Do we really need to proof text Michael? Go to Jude, Revelation, or Second Kings, and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, it's pretty clear, yeah, yeah. But this might be a new way of people thinking about it. Because when we talk about angels, oftentimes we think just in terms of guardian angel, which is a biblical right. thing, perfectly right. fine. We understand angels as protectors, but we don't understand angels as people with charges. And it, if I can use our, this overused word in Lutheranism, but angels kind of have a vocational responsibility and they seem to differ. You know, <laughs> Michael's kind of the overarching guardian angel, but he's different from a specific angel. I mean, a, your specific angel, I mean. Right. Uh, for example. So it's not a foregone conclusion that they would be over uh, territories, and Daniel makes that explicitly clear. Now, I don't know why we would balk at that, but some people would. Maybe because of its because of the way Pentecostals talked about it in the 80s. I don't know. Maybe it's because they don't like to think of the spirit world as bureaucratic. <laughs> I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yet, here we are. So there's no reason to think that this only applies to Persia or to to Israel. And I think we'll make that very clear as we begin to look at world history and you see some of the devil worship that was going on there. I think that's going to be strong evidence for these territorial spirits. Well, and it also emphasizes the seriousness of false religion, of false gods, because it's not just yeah. a made-up story. In, in that sense, you have a demon who is posing as a god, and who is, in some cases, able to work false miracles, as we see in the book of Revelation. Um, yeah. So yeah, there is a a spiritual blinding that is happening with right. these demonic spirits as well. Well, even in, even in Acts, you have examples of, you know, demons working through people. 
right. to bring about false, you know, in this in that case, it was Python spirit, hidden knowledge, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, the big example is revelation, you know, to de- to deceive. But um, do we want to get into the? Well, we'll get to the ancient. We'll get into ancient religions. Although it's kind of funny, I'll say ancient religions, and then we'll talk about the Aztecs and realize that's like Reformation era. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, maybe maybe one other text to think about before we go into break, just yes, to really drive this home, is First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verse twenty. Which, of course, refers to uh, Paul saying, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So in other words, we have Paul's very clear statement here that the pagan sacrifices were being given not to just false, empty statues or something like that. They were actually being offered up to demonic forces. And like I said, these demonic forces posing as gods and wanting them to be wanting to be worshipped as gods, and yeah. so yes, these these territorial spirits are not just directing things; they're also wanting to be thought of as divine, right? And in this way, they go at they follow their father, the devil, because they they learn from him, and what he wants is the things that are due to God. You know, he he wants what belongs to God; he wants to take that for himself. Right. Namely, glory and worship and honor, yeah, and and so his minions are no different. You know what does that look like in our context? But understand that idol worship is still very common in the world today. Common in the United States. Don't even need to go out out of that to find that. And, and we've and it's going to become more and more common here nowadays because of the spread of Christianity. This kind of idol worship is co opted, so that you'll have Jesuits permitting, for example, a Mayan altar underneath a church or something like that. May their, destru- may their destruction be swift. The Jesuits we, or the altars? What, <laughs> distinction without a difference. <laughs> I mean, the, the Jesuits have been an unquestionable force, especially in modern times, of, of evil. And today they continue to be a force for evil within the church. Um, I, can, I can have respect for ones that showed up at the very beginnings of the discovery of the New World, but not much further than that. But especially well, nowadays, they're completely apostate. Well, I mean, when your whole order was founded to combat Protestantism, I mean, I don't know how how it could right, have, yeah, exactly, so. exactly, and then and then swiftly turns into just pure syncretism, uh, just a, just a terrible thing. I mean, you understand that that they are permitting joint worship with demons, yeah, the like the Pocky Mama things or whatever in yeah. at the Vatican, yeah, that, yeah, pure syncretism. Oh no, this is the this is the Virgin Mary. Look, no, it's not. It's a Fertility idol. Get rid of that. You're going to put the Venus of Willendorf up in your altar next to, is that okay? Is that now acceptable? That is actually, that's a very, that's a, I mean, this is exactly what first Corinthians is talking about though. Right. You know, right. you can, you know, to go into 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And they have set up altars side by side with demons. Yeah. Crazy times, man. I don't know what right, to make. Right, but, but you know, we're supposed to be all nice and ecumenical now. <laughs> no pope here, as all yeah, I'm saying. No pope. So. There's no pope on word fitly. <laughs> and they go, well, so who's going to interpret scripture? Well, right now, I'm going to interpret scripture and say that Paul is saying that you should not uh, worship the devil, uh, especially at the table of the Lord. <laughs> I'm no fancy pants ivory tower theologian, but it seems to me the text does not permit devil worship in the house of the Lord. 
in those rooms with their pictures, Ezekiel style. Right. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing what we're supposed to tolerate nowadays, but I don't think that toleration is really a Christian virtue in most cases, Delwin. I don't think it can be at all, especially if toleration means permitting evil. Right. And, 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 and so what you're doing when you, when you permit, and this is what they've done. They have taken a pagan, what is essentially, as you'll see, an altar to the devil and allowed it to basically coexist uh, for the sake of cultural respect. And it's it's very a very strange thing. Uh, we're a long, long way away from Boniface chopping down the tree. Better times. Better times. But we'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this. Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. We're talking territorial spirits, and it's a fun one. All right, Zelwyn, let's continue on into the New Testament. Let's go to Ephesians. Okay. One of the other things maybe to emphasize, and there's a few things that we're going to draw out from Ephesians, but uh, the first one is that Satan himself is often spoken of as being the the prince of the demonic princes. He's the, the as he's sometimes called uh, even the god of this world. But in Ephesians 2, specifically, uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we can see here pretty clearly that the scriptures present Satan as being the spirit who is at work in the reprobate, at work in the sons of disobedience. And let's look at what that work looks like. I mean, because three gives us a glimpse, right? right? And this is going to help us understand what it looks. So let me explain. So okay. verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what he's saying is God has rescued us from the devil, from right. the prince of the power of the air. But here's what people who are under his power look like. Right. They are slaves to their passions, slaves to the flesh. No. Does that sound like anything? <laughs> anything we've seen in modern times? I, I'm I'm struggling here, Willie. I can't seem to figure it out. <laughs> you know, not that you know, not that we're living in a world which is completely hedonistic or right. completely focused on pleasure or anything like that. Well, so. and it makes you think there is a there is a, a spirit of this uh, in in certain theologians of the Augsburg Confession <laughs> of the Lutheran mindset who basically for. All intents and purposes tell you, hey, you might as well give into your passions because you know you're 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 fully sinner or something like that. 
Um, or you're completely overwhelmed with with sin. You know, there is no new Adam. They never would say that, but they do. They do pretend as if that there's no. There are symptoms of being reprobate, but there are also symptoms of being regenerate. Right. Right. Well, I, I think I think what you're referring to is sometimes we pretend as if regeneration isn't real. Yeah, as, as if, if it's it only a legal thing. Right, right. And that we're somehow just the same as we were before. But no, yeah. I mean, Paul is very clear here. You know, the, the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience, the spirit at work in the reprobate is very different from those from the spirit which is at work within the believer, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. And I think part of God working, God the Holy Spirit working within us is our ability to discern the spirits in that way. Sure. I don't mean the fact that I can look at someone and know that they're demon afflicted. <laughs> well, that might be a gift you have anyway, but <laughs> but but this idea that uh that we can know what's right and what's wrong and what's from the devil. And I hate to I hate to make everything about feeling and intuition, but when a Christian say walks into a Hindu temple, you feel the evil there. Sure. It's inherently evil. The demons are there. I mean, well, now, <laughs> now we're going to have to do another episode on talking about evil being local, like, you know, the a place being something which has been cursed or afflicted. Yeah. And I think, and because that is a real thing too, that's entirely biblical and yeah. that it, it has to be cleansed. Well, yeah, in that you know, way. We, we, we'll take these biblical things, they will be taken to unhealthy extremes in certain charismatic circles and then we overreact to sure. those and then reject the bibli- the little bit of biblical truth that's there. Right. And like, I don't think that like, you know, you don't want to be silly about this and be like, this teddy bear is cursed or this, this raggedy and all or whatever, but there's <laughs> cursed ground. I mean, you know, just ask Sodom. <laughs> it's a little different, a little different, but. Well, I mean, just, just, well, I mean, we're getting off topic, but even, even the, the Lord sending Israel away into exile yeah. uh, because the land has to mm-hmm. rest. The land has to be cleansed of the evil, which is being done in it. Yeah. You know, God very specifically says that, but yeah, we are getting off topic. Well, I mean, but... you know, people forget though, that's kind of the reason we have house blessings. <laughs> like part of it is you want the Lord to bless the house, but it's also the same right we use when there's demonic activity in a house. Right. And it's also prescribed for when an evil has been committed in the house. Right. Uh, that's that's actually, if you go to the rubric, it'll say this is appropriate for when, you know, X, Y, or Z has happened in this home. Right. And so that I see, we have all these biblical ideas. It's all tied up in our practice, but we forget why we do it the way we do it. Sure. So... They remembered not Joseph or something. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right, but back to the subject at hand. So that's Ephesians two. Wherever yep. the devil is the is is ruling, there are those there are patterns of behavior, right? Well, and also, I mean, just the fact that this pattern of behavior, as you call it, can also manifest itself in nations. Um, that a nation may be opposed to the gospel. That a nation may be fighting against. Christ and his kingdom, you know, that a, an entire people, for example, may be a, a fight, may be living reprobate lives. And so there is this, it's not only just an individual thing, it is also the the corporate, you know, the body of the nation as a whole, which may be exhibiting these symptoms as well. Because, right. you know, and I mean, that that's getting into the whole headship thing, which I think we've talked about before on, on this podcast. <laughs> right, several right? times, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is all tied together 
And so what we see happening here is that Satan, as the prince of the power of the air, or as he's called in like 2 Corinthians 4, the god of this world, you know, even Jesus refers to him in John 12 as the ruler of this world. You know, he is the one in that sense whose territory is the the world, the, the, the sinful world. But how do we reconcile that, Willie, with saying that Christ is the king? You know, how do we how do we connect the, how do we deal with those two things? Yeah. Um, there's a few ways we can talk about this. Uh, we can talk about it from first. What I want to tackle is God's providence. That mm-hmm. you know, He is God's devil, so He can only go so far. Right. There, right. God does restrain him, but He also lets him go free. And God, in His unseeable purposes, does allow this. God will bring good about through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, God does not allow purposeless evil in the world, and yet He keeps the devil on a chain. But he'll he'll let people have what they want. Oftentimes, sure. if they want to abandon Him. God will, yeah, okay. You, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> here you go. Um, but in His graciousness too, He will also pull many back to Himself. To be very clear, right. So, so that's that's the providential one. The other one is, um, let's see, how do we want to tackle this? How did you word the question originally? Well, how do we deal with calling Christ the king, and how do we deal with calling the devil the god of this world? The god of this world. Well, you know, the devil is not given a permanent kingdom. He's given a kingdom that that is passing away, that is soon to be conquered. And it is being conquered even now. So he just has this very temporary kingdom. And he'll soon be cast into the lake of fire, prepared for him and his angels. So... He's being conquered now. Christ Jesus, our Lord, has become incarnate, and Christ Jesus has lived, and Christ Jesus has taken on man's nature that he might redeem man, and he is redeeming man. Uh, He has redeemed man, and he takes our sin to the cross, and he rises from the dead to show uh, that he is the ruler over all. In conquering death, he rises, he ascends into heaven, and now he rules uh, from on high. In the fullness of time, after his ascension, he sends down uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to the church, and the Holy Spirit is now working in the hearts of believers. And as the gospel is preached throughout the world, people are coming to Christ, people are believing in Christ, and the devil is being trampled underfoot wherever the gospel is being preached. And slowly but surely, the church is conquering in its own way. And while the church is conquering through the Holy Spirit, we await that day when Jesus Christ comes in vengeance to lay to waste all of these kings, especially the devil. Right. And so in that way, yeah, he is the king of this world that is soon to be destroyed and to be made new and holy and perfect. And he will not be a part of this new kingdom that is coming and this new kingdom that frankly has come. And we're right. awaiting its full inauguration. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it is it is like you say, this this expansion that Jesus as the king is putting more and more under his feet. I mean, yes, he is the king of all things. And all things belong to him. But at the same time, powers before him are falling. Yes. You know, he, they cannot resist him. They they might be able to fight against him. I mean, like we saw in Daniel, where the prince of the kingdom of Persia fought against Michael for 21 days. But yes. that warfare, that battle ended. It's yeah. not like he, con- he was able to continue doing yeah. it. And that is, is an interesting point about the territorial spirits is when they fight, it's, it's, it's a fight. They are really right. struggling. When Jesus comes with his sword, it's not that much of a fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, even even uh, the picture in Revelation of you know the sword going forth from his mouth or going forth to conquer. It's I mean, they the the evil forces stand up uh, you know and, uh, by the shore next to the city, 
but then Armageddon's over like that. I mean, it's just, it's so fast that it just, it's almost like a blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, they, they cannot resist the, the power of Christ to overcome. And that's something that we should keep in mind as well. And that's an important thing for the Christian. And we'll probably talk about this a little bit more in the third segment too, is to understand that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ sees every evil thing, the devil and his minions, whether his minions are the other, the fallen angels or his minions are the rulers of flesh and blood who worship him even now, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Right. Uh, he sees this and marks this. This will not go unavenged. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's coming to judge the world in righteousness. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you can't get around that scripturally. I know that guys who are cooler than us will try to soften this, but you can't get around the wrath of the lamb in Revelation. If you, if you, if you speak in the language of the Bible, I'll trust you more than the guy who speaks in, the, in his own forked tongue, whether he's in a collar or not. <laughs> I mean, it's literally Psalm 2, right? Kiss right. the son lest he be angry, right. and you perish in the way. Yeah, so so beware these these pillow preachers, guys. Because they, they you want to think that they're fluffing up a soft pillow so you can rest your head in the gospel or something like that. But what they're really doing is fluffing up that pillow uh, so that they can smother you. <laughs> It'll be a soft pillow in hell. Yeah, so anyway, be careful uh, with false teachers, but let's move on into Ephesians 6, Zelwyn. Let's continue on into this here and talk a little bit about that. All right. Well, Ephesians 6 is kind of the the practical application of all of this. You know, what we, what are we supposed to do as Christians? And Paul, of course, is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. This is, you know, Ephesians 10 through 20, you know, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to our listeners. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that in itself, verse 12 in particular, really drives home what we've been talking about. That even we as Christians, like let's say with the struggles that we see happening in the world, in the world of men, it's not just men that we are fighting against. Right. It, it is rulers, it is authorities, it is powers, it is the spiritual forces of evil. All of these referring to these territorial spirits. Yeah. And the hard part for us is we can't see those spirits, but you can see the spirits at work in people yes. And, yes. In, and in nations and how that happens. The, I mean, the, the works of darkness are evident nowadays. I mean, just, just look at what's happening around us. I mean, you can see evil. You can see it at work. And if we think that it's just because of somebody being a bumbling idiot or because they just are are doing something because they're kind of bad, we don't really understand the conflict. Well, and to be fair, I don't think it's entirely clear whether how the hierarchy works, how the bureaucracy of hell works. If if that means that some demon is assigned over the United States, does the devil like honor the founding of the nation and then assign them over a particular like a particular colony? I don't know how that works. <laughs> and I don't think it's it's really quite that cut and dry. I think that you could have local very very local spirits over villages. Sure. You know, you could you could I think that that's very scriptural. You can have them over whole nations as we've seen clearly. You can have them over whole denominations, Owen. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And, well, and, and, especially if they've wandered away from the truth. Yeah. Take heed lest ye fall. Yeah. And, or being being handed over to Satan. I mean, that's biblical yeah. language too. Yeah, and typically you find yourself handed over to Satan because you've already 
surrendered yourself to the world. Yeah. And you don't want to find yourself that way. And it's a very difficult thing to discern. And and more and more, I fear that what we are doing is we are going to delude ourselves into thinking as a church, as a whole, that we're on the side of God because we hold to a certain set of propositions alone. Sure. Um, or that, or that, or that we will stand boldly only on a certain set of political topics, politically safe topics, for right. for, for what it's worth, politically safe because of our the political base that we appeal to. So we find ourselves standing firm on one or two issues, but we'll quickly find ourselves then not standing firm on some some larger things, some theological things where we should, and that's where the real danger is. We'll think that we're standing firm, and are we? Mm-hmm. But but beyond that, but that's more speculative. We can see concrete examples in in broader authorities of uh, being handed over, or or of already being handed over. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the very fact that you see denominations, you see nations, you see villages, whatever body you want to talk about, doing things contrary and in spite of the clear word of God. That is evidence that they are being handed over to judgment. And I do want to make this clear, because the temptation nowadays in modern missiology, and and I'm going back to something I said in the first segment, the temptation is to say, okay, poorer third world countries are closer to God because you don't see the, the evil like you see in our big Western governments. Well, you realize that they're still mass murdering people and like harvesting people's body parts for witchcraft in a lot of the third world, right? They are not noble. That right. they're just handed over to God in a different way. We have a big, like, uh, you know, abortion approving technocracy in the first world. They have, um, you know, ha- the hands of albinos for sale on street markets in the third world. But it's of the same spirit. Right. Well, and it, because all of these territorial spirits that we're talking about, like the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the prince of whatever kingdom of darkness, you know, whatever whatever his domain may be, their purpose is all the same. They are seeking to destroy. They are seeking to pervert. They are seeking to lead astray because their desire is the destruction of, of God's saints, the destruction of God's creation. Yeah, and, and they're going to do it in the most efficient way they can find. Yep, yep. So whether that's in a very local sense and appealing to witchcraft type practices you know on a more local level or whether that's leading an entire nation a western nation astray into ungodliness the goal is the same and so we shouldn't think of these as being you know greater or lesser demons we should see them for what they are you know servants of satan who are seeking to destroy god's creation yeah 100 percent. and you have to look at you have to view the world through the lens of the bible and you have to view what's going on in the world through this lens. First, that God is providentially over all things, but that does not mean that God is pleased with this. And that does not mean that you have to capitulate to everything the demonic rulers want you to do. Right. And that maybe, and maybe that's a, a third segment thing. Maybe we'll just finish up with Ephesians here real quick. Sure. Just to really drive home this point. One of the things that Paul goes on to say then, of course, is take up the whole armor of God so that you're able to stand firm And the whole point that he has in this passage is that even though we are waging war against these great demonic forces, against these territorial spirits, uh, we are not alone in this fight. 
you know, that God is the one who gives us strength, that God gives us truth, that God gives us righteousness, you know, so that we can take up the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, praying, you know, in the sword of the spirit, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So when we are in the things of God, when we are ruled by the Holy Spirit in that way, yes, we will be able to withstand these territorial spirits. They are not, you know, all powerful, you know, like they're going to run rampant over everything and there's very little that God can do about it. No, even the saints, by the power of God, can put these spirits to flight. And I think that's something that we should really hold on to when we talk about this subject, too. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, we're going to take our next break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken right after this. back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. We're talking territorial spirits. Well, Zelwyn, it's been a fun one. We've looked at the biblical basis here. We've talked about spiritual warfare. So let's continue on with that a little bit and talk about, we'll talk about how spiritual warfare works, but first we need to talk about some of the symptoms of uh, demonic oppression over a nation. So what would be some of the telltale signs throughout history? Well, I mean... besides the fact that you have clear demonic worship, I mean, you have false religions, that sort of thing. I mean, Paul's very clear that, you know, whatever pagan sacrifice they offer to demons. So if if you have a nation which is, say, officially one religion or another that is contrary to the Lord, you have a clear example of demonic oppression, right? right? Well, no, 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 but but no, that's not a demon. Like, Like this, you know, this nation just worships Quetzalcoatl. (laughs) <laughs> he's not a devil. He's just a feathered snake god. Literally a snake, but never, yeah. neither here nor there. Well, and, I, and that's a very interesting thing when you look at false religions throughout the world or pagan religions. They uh, they have these similarities. The big one is human sacrifice pops up a lot. Right. And there are these weird, often serpentine animal hybrids among the gods. It's a coincidence, Willie. Total coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even the uh, well, as Paul says in Romans, you know that they they worship the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. You know, um, worshiping the the likeness of man, of animals, of reptiles, four footed beasts, birds, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, essentially, what we're saying is, what happened in world history are these demons went to these peoples, these different people groups that would become these nations, and told them they were gods. Yeah, and they set up their own religious system, which looks roughly the same all across the world and had them bow down and worship them. That's what Mesoamerican religion was. That's what Egyptian worship would have been. Right. Um, that's what Greek worship would have been. 
right? We tend to say, well, these are just myths handed down. So it's some kind of oral tradition, but it actually seems more clear that these demons were manifest, at least initially. And, and, and in the idols, that's what you have in the Bible. The demon will inhabit the idol, right? And so the idol is the avatar. It's the way to, it's sort of the embodiment of the demon there. That's the way that you commune with the demon. Right. And I also find it very interesting that, you know, when they talk about different gods being adapted across, you know, different cultures and stuff like that, you know, we most often think of like Greek and Roman sort of things where they borrow these sort of things. Uh, but you see this kind of borrowing also with the Phoenicians and the Romans and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where the same god or goddess is, you know, basically called by different names, but is essentially the same yeah. being. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence either. I think what we're seeing here is a demonic force, which is presenting itself in different ways to different people, but is still seeking the same kind of worship for that reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, modern examples are a little bit trickier to come up with other than like Hindu idols. Right. All of those would be an example of that. There are some Christian forms of this that are corrupted into that too, I believe. I believe that um, certain statues and certain devotions really verge on certainly the superstitious, if not outright demonic. Sure. Um, Superstitious would be, okay, there's nothing wrong with the statue of St. Joseph. Superstitious Superstition would say, though, bury St. Joseph upside down so you can sell your house. Right. Now, that's demonic in a way, but not demonic at, at the same level that we're talking about here. However... Devotions to Santa Muerte in Mexico would be demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you that don't know, it's an idol that looks very much like the Grim Reaper. It's, it's a, personic, a personification of death, and they they worship it. Um, it is, to be fair, officially condemned by the church there, but no nobody really does anything to stamp out the worship of that. Sure. You get a lot of syncretism in uh, particularly uh, Latin American Catholicism because of the paganism that was present on the continent since time immemorial. But remember that the pagan worship was happening, like I said earlier in the podcast, up until about 500 years ago. You know, it's, it's very recent in history. So the Spanish get here not, not too long before Luther is posting his 95 theses. Right. (laughs) And the, you know, and the conquest of the Americas is happening while the Reformation is going on. So it's very, you know, you tend to think of these big giant uh, ziggurats built for sacrifice or whatever as being way, way, way back in history, but they're not. They're in what we, what historians would call the modern era. Right. Right. Well, and maybe, maybe something to point out here too, when we're talking about like modern times, not just like recent times, like let's say with the Reformation, but actually like in our contemporary day, you also see many rites or kind of uh, mm-hmm. occultic rites which are trying to revive or are using some of these ancient, you know, worship things. I mean, when we when we see, for example, major scientific projects being opened with <laughs> with these weird, yeah, like rites. The, CERN, the CERN lab and everything, having these pagan rites before they start these big scientific stuff. When you look at the history of Jet propulsion in America and NASA, for example, there uh, and with Jack Parsons, uh, an avowed occultist, devotee of Aleister Crowley, uh, where all this is happening, 
I mean, they are doing occult rituals before they're beginning their quote unquote scientific research. Right. I don't, and this is not, this is not far fringe stuff we're saying. This is all completely documented. Right. Where, uh, and they're open about it. All you have to do is actually, you know, read and you can find this. This is not, it's only fringe because they don't want you to know this. It's only right. fringe because they, it's only barely hidden. There is, there, there are, there is evidence of satanic ritual sacrifice, even in America up to today. And we're going to do a whole episode on this about Satanism, that sort of thing in America, the satanic panic and how they want you to believe that none of this was true. And while they did intentionally magnify certain things to make it look ridiculous, the fact of the matter is there's devil worship happening right now in the United States of America. Sure. And even if you don't want to go into the idea of human trafficking or human sacrifice, can you at least admit that they're killing cats and (laughs) sacrificing animals? Uh, so we so we know that this stuff is out there, uh, and I'm glad you brought up. See, usually I'm the one who takes it into weird stuff, but you did it this time, and I appreciate that, <laughs> Zelwyn. Yeah, so this is not. Uh, this is just. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is, and you can choose not to believe this, and that's fine. But it is the way it is, and it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The people who are practicing it do, and it's not just some guy in his in his shed somewhere doing weird stuff. It's, it's that high ranking people are believing in this. And even if you don't want to take it as some big dark thing, although go look at the opening of that tunnel with CERN and you'll see how rather dark it is. All you have to do is see the new age stuff promoted by very mainstream and palatable to some people, uh, figures like Oprah and what they're doing. Right. Right. Well, and, and maybe something to emphasize with this too. I mean, yes, we can talk about the occultic stuff, and that is a very important thing to consider. Um, but this is also, you know, let's say the the more general stuff. You know, it's not just in the occultic that the, yes. the territorial sp- spirits rule. Yeah, it is also in, like we've pointed out before, the the lives of the reprobate and the lives of those who are being handed over. Yeah, that sort of thing. And Christians are buffeted by this. Mm-hmm. And they have to be on guard because it's becoming so tempting to to just be so open for the Christian. And that's that's part of the devil's lies, that all mm-hmm. paths lead to God. Mm-hmm. But the only mm-hmm. one path leads to God. That's, that's the Jesus. narrow path in, in that path. Jesus Christ. It's Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, that straight gate, you know. You know, the days of debating over unionism is almost quaint. Now, we don't approve of unionism, 100% against it, but it's almost quaint to see how far we've gone, you know, since then. You know, I think you'll see more people, even among our ranks, push for interfaith stuff. And maybe the Lord will will enliven our ranks, and they'll say, hey, we can't be doing this. But I do right. I do certainly fear that you, you're going to see, that you're going to see them start to embrace, well, you know, other paths can lead there. Because, once Rome has embraced this, the rest of the world, whether they believe it or not, will kind of go along with it. Uh, that Even Protestants who don't believe in the Pope will somehow find themselves influenced by him. Right. Well, I mean, just, just look at the, the lectionary and the influence that it had. You know, the, the Romans, the, the Papists go to a three-year lectionary, and now virtually all of Protestantism does. I'm not saying the lectionary is bad or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> right. What but it was, saying, it was sold easily. 
it was sold very easily and it happened so very quickly, even by those who supposedly are opposed to right. papism. Yeah. So absolutely. And and uh, our liturgy, you know, we you know, we we pretend as if we let Luther influence it, but really our churches and our church setups started to change after Vatican II. Right. It just so happened that they adopted Luther's desire to pull the altars out. Right. <laughs> so now that a Lutheran can say, oh, I've pulled it out because that's what Luther would want to do. But the Lutherans never really adopted that that broadly. <laughs> that's why all of our older churches in America still have a fixed altar. But that's either here nor there. I don't, I don't think you're sinning by having the table pulled out for the record. I'm Correct. simply saying yeah. that we started pulling ours out after they did in modern times. Which and the only point of all of this is to yeah. say that Rome has more influence over the right. rest of Christendom than we like to admit. Right, and somebody's going to come out and go, "No, I can show you a table from before that." The Luther said, "Yeah, I know there are examples from before. I'm just saying we didn't start building churches quite this way until later." Right, right. <laughs> you, you go, you go pick most of our churches built in the let's say the 19th century because that's when most of our older churches would have been those buildings. They've got an altar and a church arranged in a certain way. And it doesn't look like it does if you built a church in the seventies. Correct. Correct. But like you say, yeah, we're, we're more than willing to be influenced by Rome. You have people reading Lutherans, even reading uh, theologians and being impressed by them. And I don't understand it. I, I think, and you'll find this in our podcast. We have been edified by certain non-Lutheran authors. Sure. The question is, who are you reading? Right. Right. It's not that, that reading a non-Lutheran author is bad or something like that, or that we're somehow sinning by doing so. The question is, is what is it exactly? You know, why are you reading them? Yeah. <laughs> and what right. are they saying exactly? Yeah. And, and it's, it's like some of our guys are so like influenced by the poetic too much. It's like they didn't get enough good English poetry in their Lutheranism. So they have to read Capon or something. They had to be influenced <laughs> by an Episcopalian. Well, let's just put let's put a bow on it there, Willie. Why don't you just <laughs> really bring out the point here? Yeah, and I just you know I just don't get it. Um, I don't I don't either. But maybe maybe something to emphasize with this too, with all of this is well, let's let's ask the question this way, Willie. This is maybe the the burning question we've had since the beginning. When we're dealing with our nation right now, yeah. what kind of spirit are we being ruled by? Are, in your in your opinion? Well, I think it's very clear that the spirit is malevolent. Okay. I think there, there there absolutely was a time where our our nation was blessed by God. We were more Christian, and people can debate and him and haw over all of this, but there was a time when America honored God in a way that she does not today. And you can quibble over the doctrine of the citizens at that time and over the sincerity, but the fact is America honored God in former times in a way she didn't. As she abandoned God and as we put rulers in place and, and have allowed these rulers to stay in place for decades in some cases, we have said, you will represent us. And so in doing so and allowing them, uh, that's just further evidence of this. So what does that look like? Well, we don't honor life. And I hate to always come back to the abortion thing, but we don't. Um, we don't honor the family. Uh, we've adopted economies and policies that uh, completely destroy families by keeping parents as far away from the children as they can, both at home and in school. Um, all of these things have, have made us grow further from the will of God and therefore further from the word of God. Right. And so, so now you have a, a society 
to where it is no longer safe to even call someone by their gender. You have a society where it's certainly not safe to be an open Christian in many places. You have a society that, at the end of the day, does not honor conscience. But the most telling evidence that we've been handing over to demons is that we have a society of death. And, tied up, and that is tied up into everything that I've said. Not only the abortion, but a society that encourages self-harm, a society that encourages ill health, a society that tells you to put poison into your body. And, then, and sometimes that's, that's in the food industry, even. Right. All of this is evident that they do not, if they don't even care about the body, the physical well-being of the citizenry, that shows you that they do not honor what God has made. And if they won't even care for that, they, they won't have any care, concern for the soul. Right. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think you've said it very well. I do think that there was a time in which, as you said, we honored the Lord more, but that God has handed this nation over because of its persistence in many of the things that you're talking about. And I really do think that what we are seeing happening today, with the, especially with the acceleration of the things that are happening, is a result of that. I don't know if you want to go so far as to say that this is Satan's little season before the end, but it is certainly uh, evidence of a nation that has been hardened. Yeah, and and I don't want people to miss here because some people are going to hear this and think that I'm like, yeah, because we have abandoned neoconservatism. <laughs> that is not my, anybody who knows me knows that this is not my position. Um, I believe that the ex, when I'm talking about not caring about the citizenry, I believe that that the exploitation of the worker is part of this. That's not Christian. That to ship every job overseas and com- to completely gut the economies of towns to where people cannot provide for their families. Right. That is sinful. That is horrible. Your job as a, as a, as a representative in our form of government is to be a good steward of the citizens given you and you've destroyed their livelihood and and all for the sake of profit. That's not a Christian virtue to have. That is not either. So don't, don't try to pin me down too much on this. I'm saying across the board, we have not cared. We have not cared, and that and that is evidence of that, because we have forgot the one f- that people are, are who Christ died for. He doesn't die for corporations. He doesn't die for political parties. He dies for people. Right. And we have elevated both up. We've elevated either political ide- the uh, ideologies, bad ones for the sake of purity to them, or we've elevated some kind of idea that 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 greed is bad if a person does it, or exploitation is bad if a person does it, but not if they're a you know a limited liability corporation. <laughs> yeah and, and and we we see and we see this this hardening across the board not just in business not just in politics no and that's the thing like any example we could give you're going to find it right yeah. well even even in the way that people are living now like just the way that uh we're we're living for pleasure the way that we're living yeah. for entertainment uh the way that we have become completely self-absorbed to the point where we can't even talk with one another anymore. Right. All of this is evidence of... Well, well this is actually why I maintain that a lot of social media is demonic. It, it is, It has taught people a form of discourse that is not Christian and not God-pleasing. And I don't mean cussing or something like that. That's not what I... I don't care about that. I'm talking about people have become so entrenched, they can't even speak to each other as humans, all their interaction are with fake things on the internet. They don't even talk to human people. That is part of the devil's plan to dehumanize you. Right. And that's what a lot of online communication does. And, you know, who knows? Our elites are probably holograms at this point anyway. 
So, <laughs> well, well, even even when it comes to that, I mean, you have governments who are saying like, you know, don't talk to your neighbors, that sort of thing. You know, keep things to a minimum. Basically, a kind of a get in the pod and you're going to like it kind of approach, which is completely contrary to God's creation. I mean, this is all very deliberate, all very intentional. Yeah, in the devil way. does not want you talking to, to each other. He does not want community. The devil does not want you barefoot putting your feet on the grass. Okay, he wants, he wants to put you in a world that isn't real. Everything the devil tells you is a lie. Okay, so that's why he wants to put you in an artificial world of his own making or your own making. That's what they want to sell this to you as. The digital world is a world you can make it in your image. Right. Well, who does that sound like? <laughs> Certain serpentine figures, I suppose. But Right. And so we're, we're coming into that. And Christians, you have to be able to discern this so that you don't despair, so that you don't look up into the sky when you see deceiving signs and then go, what is happening? Right. When you see deceiving signs, you go, oh, wait, I know this is fake. I know this isn't real. God is real. Right. And his word is true. I don't need to believe whatever sign, fake sign comes to me. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think that's an excellent point to make here too, Willie, that uh, when we when we see these things happening, when we see the devil working his false miracles, when we see him trying to destroy God's creation, if if our immediate reaction to that is, oh no, what will we do? I think the first thing that we need to do is to go back to the scriptures. Because the scripture shows us very clearly that we need not be afraid of these things because God is the one who is ultimately going to win. God is the one who's ultimately in control and God gives us the strength to withstand yeah. all things. We are to put on that full armor of God as we read. Yeah. Put on the full armor of God and be ready for battle. You know, this isn't pleasant language and the world is not meant, we're not promised it an easy life. We're not promised a life of comfort. And you've got to get out of that mindset. You're going to feel bad. Your feelings are going to be hurt. You will be aggrieved. Sometimes you won't have that experiential comfort that you want. Guess what? That's what the Lord said would happen. Right. But you got to get at it. You've got to gird yourself up. And you don't fight alone. You have Christ with you. You don't fight alone. You have the holy angels with you. For all of our talk about these demonic powers ruling over things, you've got holy angels warring by your side. And you've got to stop looking at the church hedonistically. As, as it always has to be soft language or this so seemingly clever kind of poetry all the time. Okay, you've got to let the Bible speak the way it speaks. And if you'll read the Bible, you'll be prepared. If you'll come to church and hear that word of God expounded upon and pray to God for faithful men who will expound it for you. And if you'll heed those words, you will be ready. You will be girded up. The Holy Spirit will be working. Christ is your righteousness. Be ready to get at it. Yeah. Amen. And even, even if you are in prison, even if all of your earthly comforts are gone, even if it's all been taken away, yet we still have the Lord our God on our side. And he is the one who will win the victory. And so we need not be afraid of prison. We need not be afraid of demonic forces. We need not be afraid of false miracles. You know, whatever it may be, don't be afraid of it. Because Jesus is the King, and He has the victory forever. Amen. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, 
or Twitter at WordFitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you and God bless. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm.